Thank you for coming, and uh, thank you for your attention in advance. Turn with me to James, chapter 5. We are concluding, Lord willing, we are concluding our study in the book of James today. Now, there's a whole lot of content in this passage, so uh, I, I, I would ask that you pray that the Holy Spirit may reveal specifically what He wants to teach you from this. And then some of you may leave with one piece, some of you may leave with others. Some of you tell me consistently, Pastor, I really appreciated this point that you made in the sermon. And I said, what point? And you tell me the point, and I didn't intend to make it, right? So it wasn't me, it was the Holy Spirit that made it, and you received it, and whether anybody else saw it that way or not, that's the way God works with His Word. So, James chapter 5, we are going to read the whole passage today, but let me just start out by telling you that the concepts that are contained in this passage are varied, but they really point to the point of how to live by faith in some specific area of your life. Right? There are five areas that he points out to us here in this book of James. Let me just start out telling you the first one that he tells you. How to live with success in finance. Now, notice I didn't tell you, James tells you how to succeed in finance. Right? I'm telling you, James is telling you how to live if you have success in finance. Now, being wealthy is not bad. Right? Having money is not a sin. What does the scripture tell us is the root of all sin? The love of money. Right? That's a whole different thing than having money. I know some people that really love money that don't have very much. Right? But they really love it. It has become their God. And so, I want you to understand that what I'm going to tell you from James today, and what James is telling you from his passage here, through the Holy Spirit, is he's letting us know that we need to take a word of caution with our riches. Now, riches is a pretty relevant term, isn't it? Everybody in this room is rich compared to most people in third world countries. Right? Pretty much anybody, I don't care if you're getting the minimum that Social Security gives, you're wealthy compared to some of those folks who live in Haiti or Bolivia. Right? So, he says to us, I want you to take a word of caution with these riches. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Now listen, you rich people. Some of you already said, I'm going to turn that off. I'm not rich. I don't have to listen to that. He's not talking to me. Well, listen up, because you may recognize some things in here anyway. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Where did that come from? It's almost directly from the words of Jesus, isn't it? He said, lay up for yourself treasure where? 
in heaven, where moths and thieves, moth does not corrupt and thieves don't break in the sea. So this, this, this parallel is almost directly from Jesus' words. He's saying, those of you that have built up your wealth here on earth, or who are putting your trust in your wealth here on earth, careful. Matter of fact, he says, I want you to start crying. I want you to wail, shriek, groan, not because the stock market took a dip. I want you to groan because you have to understand that the wealth of this world turns sour. It's corruptible. It disintegrates. Let's just say that you have a billion dollars. <clears throat> and you have absolutely no worry whatsoever. Except, let's say, that the whole financial system in the world went out of culture and suddenly the dollar fell out of favor and your billion dollars was not worth the paper it was printed on. Let's just say you had a billion dollars worth of gold. That'd be pretty good, wouldn't it? Now that can't corrupt like paper can. And you know, gold may lose some of its value, but it's always going to have buying power. So maybe it's the gold in which we should put our trust, right? Except for what happens when gold has a nuclear device that is ignited in its presence. It suddenly becomes useless. Because nobody can handle it. It's trash. It can't be changed. It can't be spent. It can't be used in any way. What I'm telling you is, the things that we could put our hands on and put our confidence in in this world are fleeting. They'll fail. The gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you. And eat your flesh by fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay to the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fatted yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. This, this passage here about you have fatted yourselves in the days of slaughter. When things around you are going to hell in the handbasket, as my grandfather used to say. You're just fattening yourselves. When the world is suffering and hurting and dying, you're just so consumed with that stuff that you can have. So what is James saying? Trusting in that stuff proves detrimental to our lives. Let me review the synopsis of what this is. He says, how to live with success in finance? 
Don't trust riches. Riches corrupt, they corrode, they eat at your flesh, they testify against you. Don't treasure riches, because luxury and pleasure both destroy and they fail. I was uh, watching a program of this Christian artist who had who had moved out into the secular field and done a lot of stuff. And, and he said, he, he never will forget when he left the, the, the Christian roots and heritage that he had gone, he went out to seek for the fame and fortune. And he said, I grasped at it and it was like a vapor disappearing from my grasp. Always the next thing was just a vapor. There was nothing to hold on to. If we put our trust, our confidence in riches or treasure, they destroy. They're destroyed. It's just, it's not enough. Lay up for yourself rather than treasures in heaven, eternally. So don't trust riches, and I'm sorry, that ended up being trust riches. The R is missing. Don't trust riches. Don't treasure riches. And the third thing, don't rob God. How do I rob God? Well, Malachi says that when we don't give God the part that belongs to Him, we rob God. Jesus said, even when we give Him the part that belongs to Him, and we quibble and fuss, well, is it 39 or 46? Right? When we try to say, well, we, we'll, we'll give a tenth of our spices and we'll give a this, but we won't even tell you about this over here. See? God doesn't need our money because He's got the cattle on a thousand hills. And as Uncle Buddy Robinson said, and the taters under them hills. But he chooses to use us as vessels through which he reaches the world. Jesus could have called 10,000 angels and taken himself off of the cross and conquered the world and destroyed man and it would have been over. They didn't. You know why? Because he chooses to work in us and through us to reach the world for Jesus. I'm thankful for martyrs, huh? Because not just for the hamburgers and the french fries, not just for the music, but for the souls that it represents. And for those of you that are a part of the ministry that is Jesus Christ in us, reaching the world around us. Alright, let's move to point number two because there's so much I can't spend it all on one. Then he says how to live with patience. Now, I think it would, I would find it easier to live with patience if my wife's name were patience. Because I could just live with her and be done, right? But patience is one of those things that uh, I want real fast. 
You know, I, I, I'm asked God, you know, I never ask God to give me patience because there's something about that that is just, I find out that tribulation worketh patience and I know that I don't want more tribulation, so I'm not asking God, come on, bring it on. I want to be a patient God. No, I do ask Him to help shape me and mold me in His image. And whatever that means, I'm okay with it. It's just that it's not always pleasant. Right? It's like getting a root canal sometimes. It doesn't feel good while they're doing it, but it stops the pain that you got when you go in. God makes us into being that can be pleasing and glorious for Him. He says in James chapter 5 verse 7, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. How long have we been waiting on this? Huh? I mean, you were born, and they were waiting on it when you were born. And some of you are over 90 years old. Right? So at least for 90 years, and then we go back and we look and we find out their grandpas were waiting for him and their grandpas were waiting for him. And he said, patience, grandfather. Just relax. I'm coming back. But I'm coming back when I'm good and ready. You be good and ready. And he goes ahead and he says, See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop? Waiting for the autumn rains and the spring rains. You know, rains at both of those times of year are very important. If the ground doesn't get the early rains so that the things can go through the process that they go through, and then they don't get the latter rains just before the harvest time, we're going to find that the crops don't grow. So it's important to have both of the rains and to wait patiently on both of the rains. I would not make a good farmer. Because again, from my patient's perspective, I go out there and put a seed in the ground, and I go home, and I come out the next day, and I get down and look at the ground to see what the seed had done. And I go home, and I come back the next day, and I look down at the ground. And after a little while, I'll be like, what is going on here? Because when I focus on this, it doesn't seem like it's doing nearly as much as I'd like to see it do. But, if I put my eyes on something else and I go do it, I come back and I'm amazed at how much it's growing. Right? He says, be patient, stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. <laughs> Some of you are looking at me one pastor. Come on. I know that whole, I've been hearing the Lord's coming thing. You already talked about it. And now he's saying it's near. And he wrote this thing right after Jesus left. 1900 plus years ago, almost 2,000 years ago, he wrote this, Jesus coming is near, and he still has to come. Do you expect me to believe? Uh-huh. I do. I don't know when it's going to happen. I know that there's very few things that have to take place in the way of biblical prophecy before it happens. But I also understand that it's near. And he says, don't grumble against one another. Oh, 
and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, Hold on, Pastor. I didn't sign up for this. Right? I mean, I, I signed up for the joy ride. Let my joy be fulfilled. I like that part. Yes, I signed up for that. But I didn't sign up for patience in the face of suffering. That sounds like somebody else's church. Right? That sounds like somebody else is put over there. I don't want the suffering part. But see, if, if you're going to get the joy, you have to take the suffering because they're all a part of the process. He says, be patient. You live in a fallen world. You're going to have suffering. Hang in there. The prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, that, take them. Look at their lives. See what happened. You know we count as blessed those who have Persevered. You heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So here's what I want you to understand from this. First, wait patiently for the Lord's return. Don't try to rush God's plan. Don't try to tell God to hurry up. Don't try to tell God, come on now, quickly. Get a on, get in and let's move. My kids know that I was notorious when we were supposed to leave the house at 5 o'clock. They knew what time they needed to be ready. You know what time that was? 4.45. We always were early. If I said five, they knew that five, we were going to be miles from the house by five. <laughs> so the okay kids were leaving here five o'clock, and I'd hear one of them home to the other, and it was 445. <laughs> right? I, I, I'm not an extremely patient man. I like to get on with it. So, so I thought, come on, kids, let's go, let's go. And they, they look at what I've got. Whatever minutes. Yeah, yeah, but I, I just want you to understand. It is, it's different than what the clock says. My clock runs fast, right? Don't try to rush God. And in the process, don't grumble and complain or judge. Ooh, that's hard. Well, Pastor, I'm just being a fruit inspector. You're right. Keep your opinions to yourself. If you see something in someone that doesn't look real fruitful or doesn't look real positive, just put yourself on, the, on your face before the throne and bring them before God's throne of grace. Don't talk to the to your neighbor about what's going on or lack of going on in their lives. No grumbling, no complaining, no judgment. Be patient in the face of opposition. Don't dismay when you are persecuted and don't ever be convinced that you're alone. 
Man, that's the devil's biggest trick. He loves to make us think, nobody else is facing the stuff I'm facing right now. You want to bet? You're on my side. I love that. I was back there, Miss Thelma came in. Miss Wonders, Thelma. She came in and she, she, I said to her, Isn't the snow wonderful? Aren't, I mean, isn't the sun wonderful? Aren't you glad you're good the snow? She said, My daughter was up in Maine, was it? Up in Maine, and she's got like 14 inches, two feet of snow. What are we doing complaining about? Oh, I'm not complaining. I'm just glad it's gone, right? <laughs> Sometimes we think we're alone. We think that we're facing the, the hard times, and then when we start looking at what somebody else is facing, we're like, oh, man. Thank you, Lord. We only have these two little short stints of this. Thank you. We didn't have to live through the whole winter in this. Thank you. I wasn't in Kentucky the other day when the whole highway shut down for about four hours and they had to call the National Guard just to get food to the people stuck on the highway. Thank you. And then understand that your perseverance is rewarded with mercy. Unmerited favor. I didn't deserve it, but God gave it to me anyway. That's pretty awesome. If I persevere, if I hang in there, if I let God use me and fill me and walk with me and I go through the stuff that He leads me through, He will extend mercy to me in the long run. I'm grateful for that. Then the third thing he wants us to talk about is how to affirm the truth without swearing. Now, I, there's only one person here. Just one. It would be easy to walk by it, but there's something significant in it that I, that I really think needs to be brought to our attention. Um, here it is. Verse 12. Above all, my brothers and sisters, above all, how did that get to the top of the list? I'm serious. How did that not swearing get to the top of Jesus' list? I can think of a whole lot of things that I would tell my kids. Or, or share with other people that were more important than this. However, in my family, we, we have a no swearing rule. We didn't use God's name in vain in any way, shape, or form. Matter of fact, my, my kids didn't even say, uh, gosh. Because it was just a modified form of God. And, and I told them, I just don't want you getting comfortable with it. I'm not saying that it's wrong. I just don't want you to get comfortable using God's name in a real frivolous manner there. So we're not going to say it. And now, you know, they're adults. They live on their own. And, 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 and every now and then I'll be with them and one of them will say, gosh, and they'll look at me and say, sorry, Daddy. <laughs> and I'm going to be sorry to me. But I'm not the one who did this. I'm just telling you, this, these are things that God is to be revered, not brought down to the common. And I think what James is telling the people here 
is that their idea of swearing, and they, they had a habit of this. The Jews had a habit of saying, this time I'm telling you the truth. And to prove it, I'll swear by the snows of Hermon. Why are you going to swear by the What can you do with the snows of Hermon? You didn't bring them. You can't make them disappear. How can you swear by the snows of Hermon? Well, I, I swear on my mother's grave. Why? You didn't bring her into this world. You didn't take her out. There's nothing you can do on it. You're swearing on something. Doesn't make it more important or less important. And he's telling them the idea that you could use that name in a, in a, a lowly, common fashion. You need to come to the place where you realize that not the use of a name or a swear or an oath makes something better, but that you should simply say yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Now, the reason you're condemned is because you're bringing something else into the equation. Now, let me just try to commentate on this. In our courts of law, they are asking us to affirm what we're saying is true, absolutely true, certainly true, beyond all doubt. And I would probably tell them, if I had to go in and, and quote-unquote swear in in court, Your Honor, I tell the truth, nothing but the truth, from the moment I get up in the morning until the moment I get up the next morning. That's my lifestyle. What I say to you, whether it is on the record, whether it is before this court, whether it's being recorded or not, is still the same validity as it would be if I'm walking down the street or going into the store. I'm not going to lie. And what James is telling his brothers is, your word is your bond. Speak the truth always. Don't say what you don't mean. Don't give a reason to doubt your word. Swearing by an oath is an unnecessary process. You cannot control the oath's judgment. And truth's value is unchangeable whether you add by the snows of Hermon or not. Truth is truth. Speak the truth. Stay away from a lie. A Christian's word is his bond. By that I mean this. Our relationship with God is a permanent relationship that we walk in. And when God is beside us, we don't misrepresent truth. There were a couple of little ways on that Smith thing, but I, I want you to understand. James says this is important. The reason it's important is that you're dealing with who God is. And then number four, he says, how do you respond? A troubleness, a trouble, happiness, sickness, false sin. How do you respond to those things? Let's read the passage. Is any among you afflicted? You got anything wrong with you? You got any problems in your life? You got any scenario that's difficult or a challenge in your life? Let him pray. So in other words, God invites you to bring your burdens to Him. you got something you can't handle, something too big for you, take it to the Lord in prayer. Amen. 
says, If any of you marry, are you happy? Are things going good for you? And then he says, Let him sing songs. <laughs> Let me go ahead and read this, because I'm going to get back to this in the other part. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, so that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on, a, on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced, produced its crops. So here's what happens. How do I respond in the circumstance that I'm in? When I have, we have a recourse for our troubles, for our problems, and for our happiness. When you're in trouble, pray. In other words, tell that to God. When you're happy, sing. So the first one, when you got problems, don't talk to your neighbor about it. Talk to God about it. When you're happy, when God is evident in your life, when you see it working, tell your neighbor. something marvelous, something wonderful. I have an answer to prayer. Annie, you got an answer to prayer? I do. <laughs> Come here. All right. I texted this morning and I said, I'm going to be really late, but I've got a story and a rock. This is a rock.
it about on Thursday. She called me an hour before the appointment. She's like, so we like to have, uh, we're going to sign papers today. You have everything ready? And I was like, uh, sure. <laughs> so, um, so I get all my papers and, um, we signed papers that Thursday. And she's like, when do you make it? And I was like, oh, we can be out three days. <laughs> so, um, which is why I told her on the phone that, uh, that we're planning on leaving on Saturday. And, uh, <laughs> so I spent Tuesday morning, after I got the phone call, I was like, oh my word, I have so much to do, <laughs> right? And, um, I called Melissa and I was like, Melissa, I'm freaking out, grabbing me. So, I spent all day, um, Tuesday and Wednesday doing little repairs to the house. And then, we packed up the house and moved out in less than 36 hours. Wow. We cleaned the house last night, and then I went back this morning, and I was painting, and she's moving in this afternoon. And so when she came, sorry, there's more. <laughs> when she came to view the house, we, you know, she was talking about how it was the answer to her prayer. Because just a few minutes after she had started looking, she found our house and she, and she called and I answered. And which, if any of you know me, I never keep my phone on. I don't even know where it is half the time. But I'm on it. I see that today. And um, I, it was just, so we were, we were all. Amen. In our living room, just how you answer prayers and stuff. Amen. God is good. Give God the glory. Amen. Thank you. So here's the story. Excavators attacked us down here. We're telling men that God has answered prayer. We're telling men that God has fulfilled our desire. We're telling men we're happy. We, we're notifying our face. We're notifying our voice. We're notifying the world that God is alive and controlled inside of us. Now, when things are rough and things are difficult, we don't notify the world. We don't know the world do. We just we tell that to God. So that's the first part of that. The second part of that is you have resources for your sicknesses. Some of you have faced and are facing difficulties physically. Things that you're needing God's touch for. Situations where you need God to intervene in your life. And you know what he says to do? He, he, he gives you, you have the right to pray for that because that's one of those things from the earlier part. That's one of those challenges in your life. But he gives you another level. And he said, call for the elders of the church. Let them lay hands on you. Let them anoint you. And the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. In other words, God loves me. And He will act when someone is allowing God to live and rule and reign within His heart and life. So we call for them, we have them pray, and He says, Not only that, but He will heal us. And if there doesn't something going on in our life, it takes care of that, including sin. I love when Jesus. He was a man on the bed. He said, take up your bed and walk. Is it unlawful for Jesus to heal on the Sabbath day? And he said, I could have said, your sins be forgiven you. Or vice versa. Right? Because the story is when God does something for us in our faith, is actuated in our life, it goes for more than just one piece. 
it goes to our redemption as well. Then he says to us, confess your sins, your faults, your missteps, your misgivings to one another. This is huge, folks. We don't practice this like we should be practicing. We don't like to be held accountable by our neighbor. But, but if you want to experience 
the family of God in a new and dynamic, powerful way. This is a beautiful opportunity from 5 to 7.30. Or 6 5 to 6 30 next Sunday night. Just, I promise you, in, 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 we're going to do it one time this month, one time next month, and then a couple of times every month thereafter, so twice a month. In order to kind of hold one another accountable, in order to walk on this journey together. And then the final thing that he says is how to restore those who have wandered from the truth. It really doesn't matter to me what your theology is on someone who has been welcomed into the family of God and whether they stay or whether they can fall away. That's not the important part to me. The important part to me here is this. James specifically says that if one of you wanders from the truth, And someone should bring that person back. Remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and will cover a multitude of sins. It is obvious that this person that he is talking about has at one point been involved in the body. You choose whether that means he is walking with Christ or he just comes to church or whatever it is that you need to do to justify that. I know what I believe. I believe that if somebody comes in and, and, and they have a relationship with Christ, that they have the right to break that off and go their own separate way at any time. And I don't think that most of the time it's a deliberate act. I think it's just like a sheep. Putting their head down getting over here and eating a little bit and eating a little bit over here and eating a little bit over here and then lifting his head up one day and realizing, oops, I'm not with the rest of the sheep. And I don't even know how to get back there. I'm kind of out here in the grassland and there's plenty of food but there's also wolves and bears and I need my brothers Christians, where to keep those relationships tight with other members who are a part of our body. Some of you can look around right now and see people that aren't here. Maybe they've been gone for two or three weeks and you don't know where they are. Maybe they've been just eating a little grass and kind of eating a little grass over here and found themselves stuck somewhere where they're not connected to the body anymore. Maybe they just need you as a brother in Christ to give them a call and say, Hey, this job. Y'all doing okay? What's going on? Because you see, 